In the days of exile and uncertainty, the prophet Isaiah cried out, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. And when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. In the midst of our own encounters with uncertainty and upheaval and our longing for deliverance, Jesus calls to us, therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. We will wait as people surprised again and again. God just shakes us out of our complacency and wakes us up to the work of the kingdom all around us. We light this candle as a sign of our shocking hope. May we stay awake to God's activity in the world as we wait in expectation that even now God is with us, working to restore us to the fullness of life with God and one another. Amen. All right, I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. As we begin our first Sunday in Advent, this time of preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. So like you saw, we want to have a little fun this year. A little fun with a kind of back-to-the-future theme. Well, I don't know, but it's a loose affiliation, okay? (laughs) We're going to go back to the words of the prophet Isaiah the next four weeks to hear again the promises of God of hope and peace and of joy that were spoken to the people of God then. And then a look to the future a bit. As we as Christians understand how these promises were fulfilled in Christ, and yet there is still a little bit more that we are waiting for, still in light of Christ. So kind of that back to the future and returning again to those words of the prophet Isaiah. You heard the first three verses from Isaiah 64 uh, today in that reading of our candle lighting, but I'm going to read the first nine verses for us now and hear that again. Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you, do, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond this morning. 
Thanks be to God. I heard this story of a preacher uh, one time. He told, he told this story about being out uh, Christmas shopping with his son in a toy store. And in the hustle and bustle of the holidays, his son got separated from him. He got lost in the store. And there was that moment of panic as a parent where he starts calling out his name. And has this ever happened? I don't take my kids shopping, these COVID kids. Well, it might have happened yesterday at Paris Town. Yes, this is true. <laughs> that moment of panic as a parent when you start searching around, calling out their name, running from row to row, trying to locate your child. Uh, the preacher in the story, the dad, he found the security guard and saw that they had surveillance, live surveillance. And so he began looking over all of the screens throughout the whole store until he located his son. And he saw him sitting in the middle of a toy aisle, surrounded by people he didn't know, crying, alone and afraid. My favorite part of the story is when the father begins to use the intercom system over the whole store to call out to the name of his child, Christopher. Son kind of looks all around. He's like, here's the voice of his father, Christopher, stay where you are. It's daddy, he said. Don't move. I can see you. Even though you can't see me, I'm coming. In Isaiah 64, we find the people of Israel in a similar situation. They feel lost and alone and afraid. And they're calling out to help for someone they are not sure even sees them. They don't know where their father is. And why? There's this felt absence of God right now in the story of Israel. And, and why? Why do they feel this way? In this particular moment in the history of the people of God, the exile is actually over. The Persian king Cyrus has defeated the Babylonians and issued this decree that they may return home. And so they do. They begin to return to Judah and Jerusalem to rebuild their kingdom. But you see that once they have returned, things are not going as they expected. In the middle of the book of Isaiah, when, they, when, when sort of this exile ends and, and these words are marked with lots of hope and expectation about returning home and this renewed blessing as the people of God, and then they get there. And third Isaiah, sort of the last section of Isaiah where we find this passage this morning, it's sort of mixed with this lament and despair and doubt because things are not going as they had expected. This return home isn't as easy as they thought it would be. They're met with land disputes with the people who had stayed there or with new people who had settled there, even disputes among themselves as people return home. I mean, imagine returning to the rubble of what used to be the temple. Their homes destroyed or, or taken by other folks that have come in. Not going as they had expected. And so they cry out to God for help. Hello? Can anyone hear me? Can anyone hear us? And you can hear in this passage this deep longing for God to do something. Isn't this what you had planned? Isn't this, weren't you with us in this and now we have returned? God, we want you to do something. Rend the heavens and come down. Specifically, 
those first three verses, they want earthquakes. They want God to move like fire that'll kindle brushwood and boil water. And they want everybody to know that who their God is, that they have been blessed. This language of those first three verses should recall uh, this Mount Sinai moment for them, right? Of one of those moments in Exodus 19 uh, when there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled, and then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Y'all, this is that moment when God comes down and meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and gives them their law, which later they will receive and they'll form a covenant with God. This is like a defining moment when God rend the heavens and came down and earthquake and smoke, and, and they trembled in the presence of God. This is a core memory for the people of Israel, a defining moment for them. And you hear them longing again for God to do something like that. Isaiah 64 finds itself in two chapters of what the prophet is kind of capturing a communal lament, starting in chapter 63. And in chapter 63, they're sort of recounting, Oh, look, man, I was getting going, and here we go. In 63, it begins in verse 11 of the people, this communal lament. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them the Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go up at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Where is he? who did all of these things, these mighty acts for us before. We want, it's like, what do we want? Fire. When do we want it? Now. We want smoke and we want earthquakes and we want all of our neighbors who are laughing at us right now to know who we are and who our God is. We want God to act again like that time he brought those plagues on Egypt and he led us through the sea. We want God to act like he did when he provided manna in the wilderness and flattened the walls of Jericho and had victory in David over Goliath. We want to feel that victory again. As they recount these mighty acts of God in the past, you can kind of feel this deep contrast uh, that, they, that they feel now of God's absence. Like it's palpable. Where is he? many of us have felt that way in a time in our life. Walking in darkness, feeling alone and distant from God, wondering, can you hear me? Are you, are you seeing this right now? Looking for God to come down again and do something. Maybe even wishing we could go back to a time when we felt that nearness to God. Wishing we could go back to a time like, God, can you just do that thing again? The prophet speaks pretty openly in this passage about the current state of their relationship with God. He says things like, we've all become like those who are unclean. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Verse 7, there is no one who calls upon your name. 
I mean, y'all, this is a deep chasm here. This is, things are not good. There's even a moment toward the end of this verse where the prophet, you know, almost like the, the, maybe this is reflecting this communal lament of the people where they feel like, look, it's because you've hidden your face from us. That's why. Almost blaming. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's slippery slope there, friends. I'm not sure we wouldn't do that. But this is how they're feeling. Like, hey, the reason this is all going sideways and people are turning to sin and it's a, we don't feel near to you. You've hidden your face from us. And I love this moment when you feel like just the, this chasm just couldn't be any, any farther, any, any deeper. At the point when you feel like the people's sins appear too wide and too deep to be crossed, the, the prophet on the behalf of the people makes this profession in verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay. You are our potter and we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. I love that, but now. Sort of shifts again. It's a weird sort of a confession here. Listen, we know that we've, we're like leaves here blown away, that we are filled with iniquity. It's not the, quite the same kind of confession you hear in other places, like in the Psalms or even other places in Isaiah, but there's this sort of a, there's sort of a confession here, this pleading of, don't forget who we are. Don't forget about us. Don't, don't remember your anger and our iniquity forever. Remember, you are our Father. This Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent is when we light the theme of the candle of hope. That's sort of the theme of that whole first week in Advent. And I think Isaiah this morning reminds us of what it means to hope. Even in the midst of uncertainty and despair and deep longing, even when we're feeling distant from God, we can still have hope. Verse 4, for of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who act for those who wait for him. Verse 5 says, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness for those who remember you in your ways. You can kind of hear throughout this whole passage, it's a complicated relationship. I mean, they're crying out, do something here. But we know if we remember you in those mighty acts, we know this is our promise that God will act for those who wait upon him. And that's our first promise this morning, friends, that God does act for those who wait, who wait upon the Lord. You know, as Christians today, we believe that this prayer, this deep longing of the people of God had been answered and has been answered in the Incarnation. Of when God chose to bridge this deep divide, this deep chasm of the people's sin and felt absence from God by God coming down, rending the heavens, yes, but coming down to take on humanity himself 
in the form of a baby. That moment when we believe as Christians that God said, it's daddy, don't move. I see you, although you can't see me, I'm coming. And God did. In Christ, the light of the world, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is our hope of future glory, that if we die with Christ, we will also be resurrected and share in that new life, in the resurrection that we can taste and experience now. We see as Christians who can look back and these promise of God, that God does act for those who wait. We see how God acted in the coming of Christ and the incarnation. In Advent, we tend to focus on that first coming. But there's also this reality that, as we all well know, we're still waiting on a lot of things. All that Christ came and did is true and good, and it's, it is the light of the world, and, and in him we have this future hope. But there's also a sense that we are still waiting because the work of Christ is ongoing. And so we wait on the promise of God for that fully renewed completion of creation to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And some Christians today read this Isaiah 64, it's sort of like apocalyptic, you know, like, oh, rending the heavens and fire and smoke and, and, and seeing it as a sign even of the second coming of Christ who will come back triumphantly and set everything right and redeem us. But the truth is today, friends, we are still waiting now for God to act. Still waiting now for God to move again in our lives and in our families and in our church and our world. It's not hard to look around and see all that is wrong with creation as it is. We are still waiting. And in that sense, I can sort of relate to this deep longing and despair that the people of Israel are feeling in Isaiah 64. I recognize that deep longing in my own spirit. Just rend the heavens and come down. Won't you do something about this? And this word of promise to the people of God then is the same word of promise to us today, that in these seasons and periods of waiting, we have this hope that God does act for those who wait upon him. What kind of waiting is this? Well, we know it's not an idle waiting, it's an active waiting on the watchtower, waiting for Christ to return, being prepared. That's what Advent is a time of as well, this preparation. But what does our collective wisdom teach us about waiting? We'll borrow this from Pastor Dr. Christopher Davis. He says this about waiting. The first is that God reserves the right to keep us waiting. I don't really like that. don't like that at all. But he reminds us that time was made by humans, for humans, of marking time in that sense. 
And God is not in a hurry, according to our timetables. God works beyond our time and space and how we mark things. God reserves the right to keep us waiting. I also love this. He says, God is great, and God can also be gradual. (laughs) When it comes to God's moves, God's methods, God's miracles, God can be slow. And then he says this, if God said it, I don't care how long it takes, I don't care what we have to go through, I don't care what comes at us, none of it is strong enough to revoke, rescind, retract, reverse, or repeal God's promises. That's a lot of R-E words. I'm going to say that again. None of it, none of what we encounter, none of what we see is strong enough to revoke, rescind, retract, reverse, or repeal God's promises. God promised to be the God of Israel, and they were God's people. Thus, slow is never to be confused with no. The last thing that he says is this, the Lord is worth waiting for. He says this again, no matter how long it takes, no matter what you have to go through, when you get to the place that God has purposed and planned and provided, or you receive what God has promised, prepared, and produced, you will gladly testify that it was worth the wait. I know many of you this morning are sitting here thinking about a time in your life and you say, yep, I have a story. I have a story about how God brought me through something, and now I can testify that it was worth the wait for that freedom that I experienced on the other side, for that newness of life, for that. And that gives us hope continually in our own seasons of waiting, wherever we are right now, that God will act for those who wait. Waiting in Christian faith and hope and belief that this world is not what it is supposed to be, but God is coming. Jesus is coming. And we have a mission to do while we wait. Again, this is not an idle waiting where we just get to sit around and complain about how hard it is to wait, because it is hard. We can lament. There's a difference. (laughs) Complaining is not the same as lamenting. But I also want us to hear that this hope, this hope that we have in Christ who is coming is not just a flimsy wish for God to do again what God has done in the past. Israel kind of got stuck in that rut. The people of God wanted a warrior a warrior like God, to come down with earthquakes and fire. And it said to make all of the nations know their enemies. See, they call them the adversaries of God. I imagine them being back there and returning to their home and and in these land disputes and having these difficulties and saying, okay, these are all of our enemies now, and we want all of them to know who we are. They got stuck believing that God was just going to act in a way that he had before. But you heard them even say in Isaiah, you heard the prophet capture it. You know, when you acted then, we didn't expect it. You act in mighty, glorious ways then, and it was amazing. 
But now they're asking God to act again in that same way, even though they didn't expect it then. Does that make sense? There's a lot of... They wanted God to be like a warrior to come down. And instead, God showed up in the backwards town of Bethlehem, the backwoods town of Bethlehem to an unwed mother. God works in ways that we often don't expect. And if, our, if we aren't prepared, if we aren't grounded in that hope, we might not have the eyes to see it when God does move. Our hope in Christ is not wishing for things of the past, not wishing for that victory or that triumph that we felt like we had before. We wish we could be back there. No, this hope as we wait is grounded in the truth that Christ is returning, but that Christ has promised us he's doing something new. Isaiah 43, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Friends, our hope this morning is this promise that God does act for those who wait. The Lord is always worth waiting for. As that old spiritual says, we keep our lamps trimmed and burning. We stay on our watchtower. We keep our eyes attuned to the kingdom of God that is coming because it's not going to be in the ways that God has acted before, but it's going to be something new and holy and probably upside down from what we expect this world to be. And friends, that gives me great hope this morning that as we wait we have this solid and firm hope that God will act, God will move, and we're going to have a story to tell when he does. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you meet us in our seasons of waiting. That as all of these things bubble up on our heart this morning of what we are waiting for, as people, as individuals, as families, we're waiting for so many things to be resolved in our lives and in our families. We're waiting for so many answers as a church family, for direction, for, for a facility, uh, to, to know what this next step is, what you have prepared for us. And Lord, we're also waiting for so much to be resolved across all of creation for wars to cease, for hunger to be satisfied, for people to know of your goodness and of your love. So God, we give you thanks that even in this time of preparation, we know that as we wait, you meet us here. In the birth of Christ that we will celebrate and in the promise of his return. God, renew our hope this morning that your promises are good, that your promises have been fulfilled, and that your promises will be fulfilled completely one day. 
because you do act for those who wait upon you, for those who remember you and return to you and repent that even in moments of separation and felt absence, God, help us to see and feel that you are with us. So we give you thanks this morning for this promise. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.